Welcome back to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors, and we want to take a moment to say thank you. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to thank our platinum sponsors, including Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. Gipper, sports graphics made incredibly simple. Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Gilman Gear, always a step ahead. And Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. And we also want to thank Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. Thanks to our sponsors. Welcome back to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. Our guest today is Nikki Norris. Nikki is a certified athletic administrator and she is the Director of Athletics at East Lansing High School in East Lansing, Michigan. Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Uh, well, I hope things are going well for you in Michigan, and uh, you know we're just happy to have you on the program. We always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you grew up, where you went to school and college, and, and maybe how your love of athletics uh, led to a career in uh, athletic administration. Well, I grew up in a little town called Ithaca, Michigan. Um, graduated with the biggest class at that point in history with 140 in our graduating class. So it was a small school. It was a great place to grow up. My mother was an elementary teacher. My dad was a high school administrator. And uh, one of my earliest memories of my dad is being out in the backyard with, with him and my older brother trying to teach me how to, how to hit a ball. And through his coaching background and having siblings and in a small town, um, sports were very, very important. So I grew up playing everything possible. Um, went to Alma College and ran track there. And then as soon as I started college, I got a call from my high school volleyball coach who said, you know, you should probably get into officiating. So I did. I started officiating at age 18. And whenever I wasn't coaching, I felt I had an obligation to the sport to go back and officiate. And so over the course of many years, um, through Elma College, I got a master's at Michigan State University and actually started coaching um, the year after I graduated from Elma College. I went back to get my teaching certificate and got hired on as the assistant volleyball coach. So I started right away. Um, you know, I loved it. It became a passion and it's just another way I was going into education anyways. And it's just another way to work with our students and really get to know them. Um, so I coached for many years off and on taught high school science. And as I was um, in Corona, Michigan, as a high school science teacher and volleyball coach, I got word that the athletic director was going to potentially retire or resign or switch jobs. And I was encouraged to apply for that job. So I did. Um, that was 2010. I got hired as the AD there. I was there for eight years. And then this is my third year here in East Lansing. And um, 
you know, every year it's just a, another eye-opening experience, but one that uh, I truly love because I get to work with student athletes and coaches, and it's just another extension of teaching. I got to ask, I'm an old track guy. What was your event in track? Yeah. Well, uh, the Open 400, and once I got to college, they taught me how to throw the javelin, so that was a hoot. <laughs> we don't have the javelin in high school in Michigan, and, and for very good reason. <laughs> Well, I mean, I was a high jumper and hurdler. And then when I got to college, uh, ended up, uh, my coach had me do the decathlon, which is great from a coaching standpoint. I learned all the events. So I know about that javelin too. They, your coach ever tried to steer you into the multis? Uh, we held a last chance meet one year. I know, um, not to qualify me, but we had a girl that was in the heptathlon and I competed with her up to a certain extent to, um, help pull her through the 200 and, um, that was where, you know, I, I high jumped in high school and that's where I learned at that event that I really was more of a low jumper than a high jumper. <laughs> well, um, talk about that transition from the teaching coach to the, the world of athletic administration. You know, uh, what, um, what things did you feel, you know, hey, I'm ready for this. And what were some other things that, you know, maybe surprised you a little bit about the job? From a professional development standpoint, you know, I really enjoy still teaching my coaches or providing learning opportunities for them. So that was a natural fit. I don't think anyone really understands the the job of an athletic administrator until you've been there. Um, on the surface, you know, if you're doing a great job, it looks like you're just sitting at games watching, you know. Um, but to know all the details that have to go into that event happening, uh, we're I was fortunate. I had a great crew to work with and I had seasoned coaches, but um, I think it was very eye-opening to, to figure out all the things you have to do and the communication skills you have to have. So being an organized task-oriented person helps, but you also have to become a great communicator and you, you have to work with so many different groups of people that you have to be able to connect with. Um, so I think that's the surprise when people get into the profession. But again, it's one of the most rewarding parts of the profession. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, no, no two days are alike. We always talk about the importance of leadership um, in our world and, and mentoring. Um, who are some of your mentors, uh, either teachers or coaches growing up or maybe people that you worked with and worked for? Uh, the expression I like to use is, you know, I still hear those voices in my head uh, when I'm talking to uh, a coach or a kid. So whose voice do you still hear? You know, my seventh grade science teacher was also my high school track coach. And, and I blame him 100% for getting me into education uh, because he inspired me at the very beginning. And obviously my parents who are educators, um, very inspirational, very much positive role models. They were uh, role models in the community. They were well-respected. And I really wanted to grow up to be like them. Um, so I think those are the, the early ones that shaped me. Once I got into this profession, um, there was a group that took me under their wing and said, what can we do to help you? And they set the stage for me to pass that along to the next crop of new ADs that, uh, you know, we're here to help each other. If we are successful, that means our, our student athletes are successful. So there's no ego in this job. You can't have an ego you have to be there for, for the students. And so 
you know, my more current role models are those athletic administrators that are able to do it all and be successful and, and still have some somewhat, somewhat of a home life. <laughs> um, we were talking a little bit before the program, and I, I think it's important for our younger ADs that are listening to understand the, the journey that, um, that they should be on too. And so talk a little bit about your journey for when you first became an AD to getting involved with your state association and then earning your uh, CAA certification? You know, it's a never ending journey and it, you have to remember that, that there's always continuous improvement. But early on my very first year, that, that core group in our conference said, hey, you need to join the MIAAA, you need to join the national organization, you need to get to a conference. And so I started taking those classes and just learned so much about the profession so that's where, I, you know, I was motivated to get that CAA in my first couple of years. And uh, it's been a little more difficult to finish my project for my CMAA, but uh, it's, it's very valuable. And I take as many of the LTC classes as I can. I've taught a few of them. Uh, you know, I try and encourage all of our new ADs to get as involved as you possibly can, because our state organization is wonderful for providing opportunities for the young ADs and just to have a network of people you can call, people you can pick up the phone and say, you know, I had a new AD call me this morning and say, what are, you, what are you doing for this? And how are you handling that? But even in my 11th year, I pick up the phone and call a lot of people and say, you know, what about this? And, you know, I'm thinking about changing and, and, and how are you handling that? So that journey continues, but we need to, um, we need to trust that we can rely on our, our peers and, and again, make it better for all of the students. No, great, great points. The never-ending journey. You know, we talk about this idea of best practices, and uh, you kind of alluded to it. Um, you know, calling up an AD yourself and saying, "Hey, how do you do this?" or sharing something that you do well. So, what's something that you're really proud of at East Lansing? What's something that you feel your coaches just really do a great job with? Uh, my coaches love their kids. And that's the most important piece to any of this. Um, they were very receptive when I came on board and um, I try and make sure we have professional development opportunities within our staff throughout the course of a year. I try and meet with them more frequently than just before each of the three seasons. And we try and have um, full staff there. So even if it's a, an August meeting, my winter and spring coaches are there because there's going to be something in that meeting that applies to them so we've brought in nutritionists. So we've brought in um, a speaker to talk about diversity. And sometimes you can use those opportunities to um, have your coaches lead the conversation. So if you have a coach that's gone to a conference and is really excited or is learning something new that would apply to all of us, sometimes they lead those conversations. So the dedication of our coaches to continually becoming better um, really, I think, makes this a, a special place. You know, let's go ahead and jump ahead a little bit uh, since you brought it up. One of the questions we've been asking our EDs uh, since we started this back in June is along those lines of what can we do better? What can we do a better job in? And then kind of getting a laser focus on this idea of social awareness and, uh, and social issues. So uh, you alluded to it a little bit there, uh, but what are some things that you feel that ADs can do a better job of in this area? Well, I think you, 
you, you let it in very well with social justice. Um, you know, our community here is quite diverse, very much more diverse than where I came from. And so I have a lot to learn. So I think continually having an open mind and listening. You need to listen to your student athletes. You need to listen to your coaches. You need to listen to your community. And we may not always have the answer and that's okay. But having those conversations, I think is, is the first step. Um, you know, we, we have students that have experienced a lot of um, social injustice and it's a difficult conversation to bring up, to have the right words and ask the right questions. But if they know that you're willing to listen and work through it with them, you know, I think that's very valuable to our students and to our community. So I think that's probably the most, um, the most pressing issue right now, other than becoming an epidemiologist <laughs> is uh, uh, social issues and, and how can we support our students in their expression of their feelings towards what's happening in our world right now. Yeah, you're so right. You know, the social awareness and, you know, of course that obviously leads into mental health and, and you open the door for my next question. Uh, we've been asking ADs, you know, how have they responded to, you know, the COVID challenges and in the, you know, four or five months we've been doing these, we've seen all different kinds of responses. Some states have shut down sports completely. Others have gone ahead business as usual and everything in between. So uh, to our listeners, we're recording this um, in the uh, latter part of November. So by the time you hear it, things hopefully will have changed for the better. But uh, what's happening right now uh, in Michigan and at East Lansing with regards to uh, return to school as well as return to play? Well, Michigan is currently on a three-week pause in all activities and athletics. So our Department of Human Health and Services a week ago yesterday um, came out, no, so November 15th came out and said, all high schools are now going to be remote in their learning. And in Michigan, at that point, we had the option. East Lansing, we've not been face-to-face -face since last March. Um, some school districts are fully face-to-face, -face, some are remote, some are doing hybrids. So as of November 15th, all high schools have to, had to go to remote learning. Some elementaries are still allowed to meet face-to-face. -face. So that also included um, athletics and activities. We're allowed to have virtual meetings with our students, but nothing on site. So we're in the middle of the, the fall state tournaments. We still had a football team playing, um, Swim has not concluded their season yet and volleyball are the three that still need to be finished. So we put them on a three week pause and hopefully um, this pause ends December 8th and that hopefully we can restart on December 9th, which we would then finish up the last three weeks of the football tournament and get volleyball and swim concluded. But that also then caused a delay in the start of our winter sports. We had had girls basketball and gymnastics had been practicing Boys basketball was set to start on November 16th, the day after this happened. And so they're all in a holding pattern and we will, we've delayed the start of any of those competitions until January 4th. So we're working with our state association. They've been very, very good, very creative and very transparent. Um, a week ago, we had a, a Zoom meeting with the executive director, Mark Ewell, who came on and, and outlined the MHSA's plans with the response to this pause. 
So, uh, you know, we went through a period in August where we weren't even sure we we're going to have fall sports. And then we got them started a little bit later than normal. We got a good amount of the season in, but we're not quite finished. And the MHSA has committed to providing three seasons for our kids this year, a fall, a winter, and a spring. And we really want to get those state tournaments to conclusion so we can wrap up fall and move forward. Well, that's an interesting approach. Um, you know, we were able in Florida, you know, we, you know, are moving into playoffs right now and, you know, are, you know, kind of wrapping up, I guess, if you will, in the coming weeks, you know, football and volleyball. And I think swimming just wrapped up recently in cross country a week ago. Um, I'm curious, going to your own fall sports, uh, your home events, um, how is that from a management standpoint? Did your, did you allow parents and uh, did you allow fans uh, you know, what percentage did they, uh, social distance on their own? Was there a lot of hands-on or, uh, six, six feet hands-on? Well, initially we were allowed two spectators per participant for indoor and outdoor sports. Um, and then as the numbers looked pretty stable, they didn't seem to be increasing at too alarmingly of a rate. Our governor allowed more, um, spectators. So we were at one point when we shut down, we were allowed at an outdoor venue to have 30% of capacity or up to a thousand people. So that allowed more people to attend. Um, we still kept it small indoors. We could go up to 20% capacity indoors. But um, a lot of our, our families were the first on the list to get those, those two slots or those four slots. And they understood that this is what we have to do in order to continue to play. We need to wear our masks. We need to remain socially distant. You know, every AD across the state of Michigan had some sort of announcement for their announcer reminding people. But I saw, I saw great compliance because our parents, our families wanted to see their student athletes compete. Everybody in Michigan has to wear a mask to compete. So that was, a, that was an interesting new thing as an athletic administrator that now I became a member of the mask police. Um, you know, it, it's just what we had to do. You know, you had to remind soccer guys, you know, pull up your masks and, and um, but it's what we needed to do to get our kids the opportunity to play. So it, it, I think it went well. Um, now, if we get to restart in December, I assume those numbers will change. Um, you know, from a management perspective, only having two spectators per participant was much different. Um, same thing, that's the plan right now before the shutdown was going into the winter season for basketball and our indoor events. Again, we'd go to back to two spectators per participant. And so that allows you a little more flexibility in your staffing of those events too. You know, you may not need as many administrators on site for a big basketball game because there's still only two spectators there. Um, it also led to a lot more creativity in streaming of events. So, you know, that's very interesting about uh, wearing your mask while competing. Is that going to be for basketball as well? Yes. And I was just on a meeting with our uh, assistant director for the MHSA in charge of wrestling, and wrestlers will have to wear masks. It's a statewide mandate. I know. I'm a, I'm a basketball official here in Florida. And, um, as an official, we just had a memo sent out, you know, over the weekend, a reminder that we're supposed to wear our masks or our, uh, our gaiters. Um, mm -hmm. 
every minute that we are not officiating. So as we come to schools in the locker room, when we come out on the floor pregame, uh, we take them off when we're actually officiating. Uh, they're not asking the competitors to wear masks, but all bench personnel, players, coaches, table, you know, they have to have masks on. So it's very interesting. Mm. Every player, every participant, every worker, every official, every everybody year. indoors has to have a mask on. Um, let's go and uh, lighten things up a little bit. Uh, I've been asking our athletic directors, the original question was, you know, what's your favorite part of the job? And for the first, you know, two or three months, it was always the same thing as it should be. Oh, it's the kids. Love the kids. So, of course, you wouldn't do this job uh, if you didn't love kids. So beyond that, what are some of the things that you really enjoy about being the athletic director at East Lansing? What gets you excited about coming to school each day? Well, obviously the kids still is always gonna be my number one answer, but the opportunity to visit practices and see our coaches teaching our kids, you know, going back to being an educator, it's, it's wonderful to be able to take the time to go just watch a practice and, and watch those coaches interact. Um, you know, I kind of joked about if you're a really good AD, it looks like you're just sitting around watching games actually getting an opportunity to watch those kids compete, even if it's for a, a small snippet of time before you have to run on to the next fire to put out, is so enjoyable to, to see everything that they've worked toward and that they're now implementing those, those things successfully. Um, it's been very difficult to come to work every day knowing you're not gonna see kids and um, that that's the only interaction we have with them now is, is practices and contests. Um, the building's empty and it's pretty lonely down here, but, you know, it's the right thing to do right now so we can continue to have games. So now that, now that we've changed things, probably the most satisfying thing is to make sure that we have everything we need for them so the games can continue. You know, um, I just look at my job as my task is to make sure that we have everything that they need from a safety perspective, from a health perspective, and all the tools to allow them to play those games. And whether that's going through today's checklist of ordering more disinfectant or uh, you know, updating our website, whatever that is, so long as it leads to allowing our students to participate, it's a good, it's a good part of the job. I love uh, a couple of times today, you've kind of woven the idea or the, you know, the theme of being a teacher uh, of kids. And, and again, I just love that. Uh, you know, I was a career teacher. I am a career teacher. Uh, I remember uh, I was at a clinic once and I heard uh, this, you know, very uh, quite well-known coach. I mean, he, he was a coach. Um, uh, he said uh, that a teacher at his school once made the comment, uh, oh, you're just a coach. You know, you don't know what you're talking about or something like that. And he, his response, which I just loved was, you know, I'm a teacher. A coach is somebody who writes a book about something they were not successful at. <laughs> uh, I'm a teacher. And so, I love that. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, we're all coaches too, but uh, I love that comeback. Uh, I've never had occasion to use it yet, but uh, who knows? Well, Nikki, this has just been great uh, getting to know you, uh, but we're not quite done. Uh, we always like to wrap up with what we call the new athletic director's toolbox. Uh, you're certainly an experienced AD, 
And right now I'm going to challenge you to send out a brand new athletic director on their very first job, but I'm only gonna let you put three things in their toolbox. What three items are gonna go in Nikki Norris's athletic director toolbox? That's a tough one. Um, number one tool, pick up the phone, contact veterans, ask for help. Absolutely number one. Um, number two, I would say join your state association and take advantage of all the opportunities that exist for um, national level courses, professional development, uh, to sit in the room with people that have done the job. And I guess the third one is all encompassing, utilize technology, create a system that allows you to be organized and improve your communication skills. Some sort, and it's different for everybody. It really is. And it took me a, a couple years to figure out, I've got a big chart on my wall that is a, an Excel document that has every event and it's all color coded because that works for me. Um, boy, only three is tough, but I think those, those are a start. Oh, and those are all great, great resources. You know, I have my uh, binder, my hard copy binder with every event written in and mm -hmm. scratched out and whited out. Uh, I also have it on Excel, but uh, I'm lost without that binder. <laughs> yep. And, and as things change, now I put it in a Google Doc and I can take it to all my meetings. And so you're sitting in a meeting, you know what your schedule is for the next two years and, and you, you know, incorporate things like homecoming and dances and exam week. So, you know, not to make make up a huge faux pas and schedule a, a big event in the middle of exams. And so it's a lot to keep track of. And I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm gonna whine a little bit right now. That drives me crazy when we do our calendar meetings at our school, uh, you know, the performing arts people. Well, okay, when's the school play gonna be in, you know, next February? Well, we don't know yet. <laughs> We're trying to schedule games so we don't conflict with you. Help us out. So, Right. And, and so in a world where our job is all about scheduling, you know, weeks, months, years out, sometimes, and especially right now, we have to change. You know, you just have to be a master of flexibility. And, you know, we went from a regular wrestling season down to basically an eight-week season, which then got shortened by this pause. So we got to put our heads together and figure it out, and we will. That's right. Make it work. Yeah. Well, Nikki, thanks again for being on. Um, all the best um, as this uh, pause uh, turns back into regular schedules. And uh, who knows, hopefully uh, we'll see each other in a virtual LTI course here in a couple of weeks. I hope for that. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to when we can have face-to-face -face LTI courses again. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, to our listeners, thanks as always for uh, tuning in. Remember, these episodes are also available on the FIAAA Educational AD YouTube channel. Uh, so you can not only listen, but uh, see these great ADs that share their wisdom with us. Uh, thanks to everyone and uh, come back again next time for another episode of the Educational AD.